Support for this episode comes from Lalaman Brewing. Lalaman Brewing, a division of Lalaman Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria, is helping breweries achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services and education. Lalaman Brewing's premium brewing yeast and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation, Lalaman Brewing recently launched several dried yeast products, Lalbrew Voss, Lalbrew Verdant IPA and Wildbrew Philly Sour. For more information about Lalaman products in the UK, please contact our local representative Andrew Patson. Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via our website, lalamanbrewing.com. That's lalamanbrewing.com. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Welcome back to the Hot Forward podcast. Did you miss us? Of course you did. Now, this episode is episode 100, and I was hoping to have episode 100 in the bag before having a little break, and I've been talking to Brewdog's James Watts, PA, um, about getting James on the show to talk about the Brewdog journey and all things Brewdog. And, you know, the, the camera was being dangled and, and it was like, yeah, get in touch with us in a few weeks' time. We've got some really big things coming up. You know, we try and make something work out. And then I just got ghosted and the line went dead. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And then my wife offered to come on the show. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. We can talk about our beer journey. And then we hit lockdown. Um, but to be honest with you, I, I I nearly gave up on the show, which is really sad um, because I, I love doing this. And, you know, I, I talked about having this little break. I was going to finish my album. I'm recording an album. Check me out. Um, and then we hit this lockdown and I just felt really, really, really fatigued and really low. And so I, I nearly gave up on it. And then um, I had a really unlikely message from a brewery that I've known and looked to, I guess, through my own brewing journey over the years. Um, totally out of the blue. Well, I say totally out of the blue. It was in response to an email I'd sent in 2019, possibly. And the owner said, look, we're about to have a, a our first child, you know, um, get back in touch in a few months time and we'll see if we can make something work. And then I did, and they, you know, they didn't respond, which if you've got kids, particularly if it's your first child, <laughs> it's a newborn, the first six months though, you go away, okay, you just kind of like, you're like, what the hell have we done to our life, our life is over, um, but lo and behold, it gets better, and now, you know, it's really rewarding when your kids get older, and particularly if you're brewing, and they can help you mashing and all that kind of stuff, talking about home brewing, I wouldn't let my kids mashing at the brewery, <laughs> oh my word, but anyway, they, they, um, they got back in touch randomly, a few weeks ago, and was like, hey man, it'd be great to come on your podcast if the offer's still there. So, I, they are more Monk than Punk, and I am, of course, talking about Northern Monk. So before I crack open today's episode, episode 100, might I add, I, th- I feel like I've earned a beer. 100 episodes, most people give up running a podcast after 8 episodes, okay, so I've done 92 more 
okay um so i'm gonna crack open a beer and this is a special beer actually uh one of our listeners brooke from brolly brewing avid listeners of the show especially when he's washing casks at 3am or whatever on godly time it is you are washing your cask brook has sent me a couple of beers so um two of which are imperial stouts so he sent me a bottle of scrum de which is a russian imperial stout but i've been told to wait to crank that open for a whole year now i'm, I'm 40 next year so i'm going to wait until then to crack this beer open but the other beer that uh, Broly Brewing brewed with Beston's Brewery is a beer called Babby, which is a whiskey barrel-aged imperial stout. So huge thanks to Brooke, not just for sending me beer, because I love it when people send me beer, but for tuning into the podcast every week. And I've been really touched by people sending messages recently uh, saying how much they enjoy the show and glad it's, it's coming back. So I'm going to crack this open and then we'll get into today's episode with northern monks so i thought i wanted to do a little tasting uh, for brooks so this is live obviously i've not tasted this before so i am looking forward to trying this so as you'd expect with an imperial stout it's got a, a sort of tanned thick creamy head and is as black as it comes. So, see, I have a good, a good whiff of trying to get every drop out of this. This is going to be worth it. Took on a Monday night. Okay, so, oh, you get that rich bourbon whiskey aroma. I can't wait to tuck into this. So. I feel like I, I this should be ceremonial. It's episode 100, so I'm going to read the spiel for you. It says, brewed in December 2019, this beer has been ageing in a Lowlands whiskey hogshead barrel for 11 months. The natural flavours of the whiskey-infused oak give this beer a satisfying richness and fullness. Expect flavours of vanilla, oats, smoke, coconut, and, of course, whiskey. So, Brooke and Broly Brewing and Beston's Brewery, Cheers. And thanks for contributing to episode 100. In the words of Barney Gumble, just hook it through my veins. Amazing. Wow. Like many brewers journey, including my own home is where the ale is. And in our kitchen, we have a framed picture of one of those classic penguin books. And it's the cover of a novel written by William Somerset Margham called Cakes and Ale. And I think that really summarises what our kitchen has been in the past. It's pretty much been a, a factory of cakes and ale. I would imagine most of you listening can vividly remember times crookedly lent over large pots holding bags of grist or trying to hoik up a heavy brew bucket full of beer in readiness for an, wait for it, an epic bottling session, which I got 48 out this time. It's hard to remember sometimes that many of the revered brewers who have contributed so much to the beer scene in a particular area, region, or even a country had humble beginnings. If you're listening to this as a brewery owner, I'm sure you can readily pull our anecdotes that can only be appreciated or laughed off with the fullness of time when viewed from the spectator gallery through rose-tinted glass. 
For one such founder, recording the days of cramming bottles into the back of a Ford Fiesta or whatever it was may be a distant memory, but a fond one. Hailing from Leeds, sometimes referred to as the London of the North, Northern Monk began underground in a damp cellar with little more than £5,000 to their name, a gift from founder Russell Bissett's grandparents and an adventurous Northern spirit. Since those heady days of reinvesting the day's profits into a session on the beers, Bissett and head brewer Brian Dixon quickly pulled ahead in the British beer scene, embracing a wide variety of beer styles, all brewed to exceedingly high standards. In addition to core range beers such as Heathen, a resinous tropical IPA, and the soft, smoothing juiciness of its smaller counterpart, Faith, Northern Monk deliver a wide range of beers from light 2.8% strided edge, a beverage that carries an immense amount of flavour for a beer so small, to colossal imperial stouts left to mature in bourbon barrels and triple IPAs bursting with sticky hoppiness. Their striving for creative perfection doesn't stop there. The Patrons Project fosters a collaboration between brewery, artists and athletes across the north of England. Cross-pollinating ideas with creatives, each project is treated in the same way you'd approach to buying a vinyl record. The anticipation of collecting it from the record store and sitting with the artwork, in this case a peel and reveal label containing information on the collaboration, and devouring the content in a thoughtful, reflective manner. As if that wasn't enough, Northern Monk have hosted two of the most revered beer festivals in the annual calendar. Hop City in spring and Dark City in the autumn celebrate the very best in hop forward and dark and wild beers, with a huge array of national and international brewers pouring across sessions at their respective festivals. If you've ever experienced these events for yourself, hosted at the refectory in the old flax store, then you truly haven't lived. And you can go back to episode four of the Hot Four podcast and hear some on-location banter and interviews with a range of brewers and my partner in crime, Paddy Spencer, at 2018's Dark City. Northern Monk have established themselves well beyond the confines of this small nation and are sold in no less than 23 countries across the world. Not bad considering the brewery, a mere seven years old this year, started in that damp cellar in Leeds. And Northern Monks still have plenty of tricks up their sleeves, even with the challenges of a coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, recorded on a snowy January day, Russell talks to me about everything Monk. The quaint beginnings and stories of yesteryear, their unlikely pilgrimage up a mountain to brew a high ABV beer at even higher altitudes, how the business has had to adapt over the years and the various creative endeavours that these pioneering free spirits have brought to the craft beer scene here in the UK. Like any good beer label, here's all the necessary blurb. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website hotforward.beer to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding, creative media and business consultancy for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. And finally, don't forget to thank our sponsors this week. Support for this episode comes from Lalaman Brewing. For more information about Lalaman products in the UK, please contact our local representative, Andrew Patson. 
Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via our website, lalamanbrewing.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. I, I had approached Brewdog. I was trying to get James on the show and um, his PA was dangling the carrot for a bit, but then she just went silent on me after several emails back and forth. It has to make do with me, mate. That, yeah, so there you right. go. I'll, I'll go. I'll go for the monk rather than the punk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joining me on the Hot Ford podcast today is Russell Bissett, founder of Northern Monk. Hello. Hello. Good. Well, we're just about to turn into the afternoon, aren't we? Yeah. Um, hello. Good a, afternoon. A, according to uh, my computer, which is synchronized to the internet, it is officially afternoon there on a go, snowy yeah. January morning. So. Put it here first. Yeah. So, uh, you, you, I believe you've got a lot of snow up there at the moment. Yeah, we were just reflecting on that, weren't we? It's really dumping across the north. I just went for, um, and you've got a busy afternoon and I was catching up with you. So went for a quick run and uh, it was a slippy, slow, messy, uh, short run just because of how, how much snow there is about. But yeah, there's there's a decent amount. I would say there's two to three inches just looking out. Got a little garden office, which has been an absolute lifesaver over the past year. But uh, looking out there now, it's pretty dicey. Yeah, rookie. I were going for a run this morning. I went last night because I saw it coming. Although I got absolutely drenched. Well, the prospect going out was uh, was appealing. You see, I kind of wanted to go in for the in for the snowy run and get up on the tops and uh, just to see it all. But uh, the reality of it just coming in your face and um, yeah, it was it was a bit dicey. Still good fun though. Still. Yeah, fun, fun. Brilliant. Well, I think many of our listeners will already, already be familiar with uh, Northern Monk. However, for those listening elsewhere in the world who may not have come across the brewery before, can you give us a quick overview of who, who you are and what the brewery does? Sure thing, man. So Northern Monk was uh, founded uh, almost eight years ago, wildly. It feels like um, in a cellar in Bradford, uh, 2013, Um we uh, are now have our main production site in Leeds. We've got two tap rooms, two refactory sites, both at the original brewery site, which is a grade two listed uh, mill building uh, on the outskirts of Leeds City Centre. We've got one in the, the heart of the Northern Quarter in Manchester too. Um, I think uh, our mission statement is uh, born of the North. We, uh, we create or strive to some of the best beer experiences in the world. Uh, and certainly that's what we aim for. And I think that's what we bring uh, in terms of the kind of the breadth of the product range and that focus on experience, whether that's the patrons project, um, celebrating some of the kind of the best talent in the North from street artists to fell runners, um, or whether it's what we call our kind of classic range, which is um, go to fridge fillers, fridge killers um, of kind of uh, kind of modern craft beer classics, I guess. So um, f- first off, I'd love to explore a bit about the Northern Monk journey. I mean, can you um, take us back to what it was like in those early days, back in 2014, when you were setting up in your cellar on my brewing journey? I've, I've kind of started in my house, moved into another brewery, and now I'm back in my cellar again. I get how that works in your cellar and stuff. But um, just talk us from that journey, what it was like in those early days and, and how you've sort of seen it scale up ever since. What was it like in the early days? So the early days was we, we were actually brewing up at um, Cuckoo Brewing uh, up at a brewery called Hambleton's in Ripon. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was quite a bit of driving up to Ripon um, and then uh, unloading uh, a car. It was like Tetris, like absolutely cramming this uh, um, a 
a sort of Toyota Yaris or something that uh, my mum would kindly let us borrow whilst we got going. Um, unloading uh, lots of uh, cases and precariously getting them down a couple of flights of stairs to the cellar. Um, lots of farmers markets at the weekends. Me and Brian would rock up and we'd usually get a couple of friends to help out. Um, and on a good day, we'd be done by midday. We might make a couple of quid, but we'd usually end up drinking the profits by by uh, early afternoon that same day. It was a lot of fun and it was great to engage with people, but we weren't particularly good at <laughs> making money, to be fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we were we were lucky in that people really um, kind of resonated with the brand um, and we got the traction going and, and there was... Um, yeah, within a few months, we kind of attracted a bit of interest from a friend of a friend's dad who uh, wanted to put some money into the business. And initially, we said, "No, no, no, we're quite happy doing what we're doing. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna really make it from uh, from this cellar and brewing out of Hamiltons." And you know, after a, another couple of months, we realised that we wanted to achieve our ambitions, which even at that time, um, as naive as it feels looking back now, you know, were, was to try and create some really, really world class beer experiences. Uh, so yeah, eventually we, we took on some of that support and um, and then started to look for premises and uh, that's when we found the the old flat store in Leeds. Yeah, I mean it's a magnificent building. I've, I've been up a few times um, for brewers lectures and um, to Dark City as well. I mean, what what was it like taking on that building? Honestly, it was a it was a privilege, man. It was um, we felt well, we still feel humbled and uh, very very grateful for for you know occupying it as like I got married there um two other members of staff have kind of got married there and it's just a really really special place mm. so um this guy called John Marshall kind of built his uh, flax empire around there and the old flax store uh was part of that and it was actually built to house flax and built with um to be as fireproof as possible given that the, mm. the material in the building was was flammable and there'd been a number of instances of uh, fires um and the rest of the kind of john marshall empire marshall's uh, mill itself um uh, the round foundry as it's now known um was actually acquired by a property developer and passed through various hands uh, and the woman that owned the old flat store refused to give it up to um, this company that had bought out most of Holbeck because she didn't want to, the legacy of John Marshall to be uh, kind of overtaken by this property development company. Um, and so um, she was really holding out for, for someone to come in and buy it. And, you know, we were at the right place at the right time. Um, it Like when it was first advertised, it was... Um, it was nothing really for, for what that building is and for the part of town it's in. Um, so yeah, we were just, well, it didn't actually end up going for that because it went to a bit of a bidding war, but um, yeah, we were just in the right place at the right time and, and still feel very fortunate that we've got that that presence so close to the city centre and such an iconic and beautiful building. And, uh, you know, so much of the brand is wrapped up in um, the the pride in the North. And I think, you know, that tie, all ties back to that um uh, kind of industrial period yeah. and, and, and North was a heartbeat of the country. Mm, it's amazing how areas like that um, have sort of sprung up um, over the last, I'd say the last decade and how, um, so an example, I, I used to work at Shepherd Brewery Company as the head brewer and um, the area Neepsend that that brewery is in, I mean, it used to be just like an industrial area and the, there was one pub, which was the Gardener's Rest, which the brewery owned. 
And then um, around the time I joined, uh, an artisan food market moved in, like a food hall um, opposite, and then all these other bars sprung up. So all of a sudden, they were like in prime location. And um, even with a, build, a similar vibe to the building, it was an old polish works, like red brick, timber beams, and all the rest of it. Um, albeit it was over, over three levels on a tiered brewing system, and it was an absolute nightmare to work on this brew, brew kit. And, um, you know, having to, like, lug casks up this ramp with flagstones and cobbles and stuff. <laughs> um, I, I mean, have you had any of those kind of issues at the old flag store, or is, or is um, the brewery a little bit better kitted out in terms of, like, um, flooring and stuff there? Oh, one, one million percent. We've, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was an absolute nightmare to get a brew kit into. Um, we basically had to handball the brew kit in through, um, through the front door. So we, we cut out a section of the steel staircase that goes up to the refractory level. Um, but literally on the day that it arrived, we had these two uh, builders, well, we had a number of builders, but two main ones uh, called uh, Paddy and Callum. Uh, who'd been working on renovating the building for us and and the, all the brew kit arrived and they were like lads what's going on how are you going to get this in and we were just like well we're just one of those where you just have to make it work so I think there was like six of us to the to the mashton just kind of lifting and pushing it in um yeah it was wild and and still to this day it's just yeah it's not the most suitable brewing uh, building for brewing at all we still have to um, carry all the grist up to uh, the refractory level um, every time we're brewing, and yeah, but it's but I think that's part of its charm, right? Um, oh yeah, totally. You're making me appreciate the Sheffield Brewery Company on a whole other level now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've uh, lugged many uh, a, a sack of malt up to the mezzanine floor. Been thinking, why the hell am I doing this? You know, <laughs> and then you, there was a winch as well, so it was like, uh, you know, I thought, oh, I'll try the winch. It's just you stood there like half an hour later, you get one bag up, you're like, all right, okay, I'll just yeah. pull it up. So, yeah. so I mean, you've been been brewing there a while, but also you you took on a site at um, Sydenham Road. Um, I mean, how how did that come about, and what was it like making that jump from being at the old flax store to a, essentially a big warehouse? So yeah, so basically our um, expansions have been kind of dictated by the property that's come up near the brewery. So initially, like, you know, we we're really inspired by the likes of Russian River and uh, a lot of kind of American breweries that were really doing a lot of D2C and kind of that taproom model. Mm. And that's why we we're so keen to have the taproom on site. Um, but once we maxed out the the original, the old flat store, the original refactory site, um, we were looking at things and, you know, I was still quite keen to kind of uh, to do that, but we were looking at like external FVs uh, and it was just getting silly because, you know, we've got a 10 barrel brew kit in there. And uh, if we were going to get up to kind of, I don't know, well, as soon as you go up to anything over 20, it starts to get, it starts to get a bit daft in the amount of turns you'd have to do. So we, um, we started to look for different premises um, and one just came up. So yeah, as you say, it was on the, uh, a road called Sydenham Road, um, about 10 minutes walk, just a few minutes drive from our original site, 10,000 square foot unit. Me and Brian went round and we're like, right, well, this is, this feels great. It feels like where we could be for the next, you know, 10, 15 years. And, um, well, it just, as ever, the space has always been a real challenge for us. And um, even within kind of two years, we were looking at other sites. There was a, a bit of a, a sketchy uh, car body shop next door. Um, 
police were quite often round and they had some of the meanest looking dogs I think I've ever seen. But um, within, yeah, within like uh, 18 months, I don't know, it all blurs these days, but uh, we were kind of looking at that, that premises. Um, and, and then more recently actually we acquired the facilities and, and the site for, for Leeds Brewery too. So we've got quite a substantial footprint um, now, um, about 70,000, square foot across the three different sites but certainly going in there it felt like well it felt like you know we had so much room um it was exciting but but yeah it was uh but yeah it, it didn't quite pan out how we thought it would yeah so uh, moving on uh, talk us through the development of your various beers and ranges i mean looking at the core range first i, I mean i've got to say and i'm, I'm not just saying this because i'm on a podcast with you I, th- I think faith heathen and new world are amongst my favorite ipas of all time um and my, my wife absolutely loves faith um so but obviously you brew a wide variety of beers but w- with your core range like how have they developed over the years and and how do you keep them consistent given how far and wide you sell those beers so I think the reality is the, the three that you've touched on there, I would say um, Faith and Heathen particularly, like the recipes haven't evolved significantly over the years. I think with those ones and a credit to Brian, really, um, you know, they, they've always for me, and I'm, I'm glad that you, you, you feel that way as well, being quite special beers and, uh, and we've, and we've really celebrated that. And certainly we've honed and refined uh, those recipes over the years uh, and increased the hopping rate slightly, but the hot bills largely remained the same with um, that classic combo of uh, citra mosaic and a bit of Columbus. Um, and that's the same for, well, to be quite honest, it's the same for Heathen, Faith, um, Stride and Edge um, uh, in various uh, quantities and with uh, supporting hops and in various measures as well. Over the years, I think like you know, with Faith, we went through a, a significant kind of scaling of Faith last year when we went uh, into into grocery with it in a, in a more significant way. Um, and, you know, over the course of the last year, we did go on a bit of a journey in terms of um, just really, really dialing in that consistency. We've we've changed the, the yeast strain in it. Um, we do much more frequent kind of blind tastings and things like that, that historically um we hadn't done as frequently mm. um but yeah I'm, I'm really pleased again you you you've seen that consistency and certainly it's something that we we feel we've definitely improved on and and, and it's there at the moment um so yeah we're really really proud of that um new world i think you know that that is a beer that's um that's changed a little bit more over the years and i think that's a reflection of kind of how craft beer has really evolved um in terms of people's perception of uh, uh, well, what they want kind of uh, IPAs to be, particularly West Coast IPAs. So more recently, we've significantly upped the hopping rates on that, um, uh, and changed the water profile slightly and things like that too. So that has been a, a more of an evolution. Um, but yeah, I think consistency is just the be all end all for us at the moment. We, yeah. we feel like we've got a really special beer in, in faith and it's something we want to share as widely as possible. We want that to be consistently excellent. So uh, we actually recently took on um, a quality manager from um, actually working out at Goose Island in, in right. Chicago. Um, for us, I guess, um, you know, looking uh, across the industry in Europe, um, at kind of where we wanted to go uh, in terms of scale 
um, and the type of beer that we wanted to brew. There wasn't wasn't a kind of it was difficult really to find someone with significant experience and a quality manager role at that kind of volume. So, mm. um, so yeah, we're really, really, um, yeah, stoked to bring on Tanya and she's been, she's been excellent so far. Yeah. I suppose after a bit with a company the size of yours, with the reputation you've got, people come to expect that kind of excellence all the time. And I, I think, I mean, I'm trying to think how to word this as to not send the cat amongst the pigeons. I, th- I think when, you're a smaller brewery you're doing so much all the time and often you know if it's a very small brewery where there's one or two up to four people running it you know it's just like you've got a hand in everything and then a lot of those things like say about the QA manager and all the rest of it and blind tastings you know you you don't do because you're so busy doing everything else and um but maybe at that size you don't have to worry I don't say too much Again, no, I think I had to word it. You don't have to worry too much about consistency because, especially if you're doing a one-off, because it's like kind of like it's out the door, fine, yeah. and all the rest of it. But with the company yeah. your size, with the reputation you got, and being in supermarkets, like for the vast majority of drinkers who will have discovered Northern Monk through a supermarket, they're they're going to reach that can every time and expect to have that beer every time. Yeah. No, I totally agree with everything you said there, and I think um, one of the reflections you know we've made as a business and one of the uh, key things we wanted to really nail was the fact that some of the the breweries I've seen with some of the most like incredible QC uh, operations in place often don't put out the best beer like they quite often put out well in my experience there is instances where they put out kind of consistently not amazing beer basically and, and we want um, our quality program to be a celebration of quality and of the pinnacle of what we can do it's not about trying to um certainly not about trying to cut costs in any way but it's just about trying to get the absolute best we possibly can and i think you're right you know going back to some of the breweries that make the best beer in the world they don't have a quality program at all they just but that's also because you're so close to the product like when there's a team of three of you making all the beer you're so involved in everything you're doing you taste in every batch and um it does all it all becomes a lot more uh it's a lot more natural then isn't it i guess and yeah yeah Absolutely. So following on from the core range, can you talk us through some of the other beers you make and how, how you decide on specials, for example, you know, what you're going to make and, and um, how you decide on like collaborations with other brewers and other people and that kind of thing, just um, how you make those decisions and just talk us through the process of that. So that, that's fairly scattergun to be honest. We kind of make up as we go along really, but I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier on is like, this commitment to beer experiences and a recognition that like there's different, like an incredible beer experience. And we, we celebrate this fact or recognize this fact with the Northern Monk frequently, like drinking a, a cheap um, pint of uh, a Euro lager over in uh, a, a sunlit square in Barcelona that could be like the biggest macro brand. And um, in any other context, you wouldn't think it was, particularly great but ice cold and in that moment that's an incredible beer experience um it feels like a world away given the given the covid situation and the three inches mm-hmm. of snow i can see outside my window but um you know we recognize that the, there's go-to beers and um and and that experience is quite different from um something like the, the the patrons projects that we've got that are a real celebration of how far we can push ourselves in terms of ingredients and technique and progressive brewing and pairing that with some of the best kind of um, creative talent um, 
uh, in the north and having like a peel and reveal label and really immersing yourself and 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 um, kind of being in the moment with that beer experience. So for us, um, I think like, like in the first instance, we we take stock of the kind of the experience that we want to to celebrate. Um, um, and with the patrons projects, that is that is about really taking a moment and taking some time out to create something that is is something that you want to um, contemplate, something you want to talk about, something you want to kind of um, you know uh, to go through and really yeah to to really enjoy. Um, and with those ones. Uh, we we try and find like the best of, of northern talent i think a great example is drew millward who does these like um he's such an incredible illustrator and he, he brings like these incredibly vibrant playful um kind of illustrations um to the table and he's uh, and he's really into kind of really juice forward fruit mm. forward ipa so with him like we always made kind of well we always just tried to get as close to Umbongo as possible which was basically his brief um but then someone like, like Ricky Lightfoot um an incredible fell runner um with that series it was all about creating something that had um you know maximum flavor but was the kind of beer that you could have a few of the night before a fell race or or after a fell race um more recently we started working with um a street artist called Limai. Uh, she's like super into sweets and she's like, yeah, I really want to do this series that celebrates, um, celebrates uh, uh, sweets basically. So we did like an Astro Belt Sour IPA for the first and um, we've got like a Cherry Cola uh, Low ABV lined up for the next one. Um, and then we're, we're always kind of looking out um, for new people we can bring into the fold of the patrons projects. Really a lot of it comes from um, kind of friends and friends of friends and, and the network that the, the brewery has. Um, certainly that's how it started. Um, but yeah, and then on the other side of things like, uh, you know, we, we've done great Northern Lager, which is that, you know, we really tried to strip everything back there. And that was, um, that was just about celebrating the, the simplicity um, uh, and the beauty of, um, of, of well-made lagers and kind of the history and heritage and the tra tradition of that. Um, and we're really looking forward to getting a bit more of that about when the, the pubs open again. Uh, another one would be the old flax store projects. And in that series, like um, the old flax store is really the spiritual home of Northern Monk. And that, as we've kind of alluded to in the previously in the conversation, and that's now where our third employee adds um, is leading the brewing and mm. uh, we really want to try and push the ingredients um, uh, as much as possible with that series so what we did there was we tried to strip out almost all the branding so it really just reads like a bit of a crib sheet of like the ingredients and what's gone into the beer and we've evolved that further this year by taking that series on the road so each month we're gonna um, take a different country and really celebrate um, or take inspiration from um, the, the the cuisine and the ingredients and the breweries of that cult, uh, country as well as the beer scene um, to, to create right really new and interesting flavors from there so I think it all comes back to like that acknowledgement of different types of beer experiences and 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 looking at how we build out from there to create these the best beer experiences we can really does yeah. that make sense yeah that totally makes sense I've, I've got a phrase um that i've not used for a while actually is that there are beers you drink and beers you experience and yeah. i think northern monk has a, a a really good balance of both there's Excellent. definitely been um 
beers that you know I've, I've drunk you know like faith and eternal and those ones but then obviously those experiences you know the triple ipas the um imperial stouts and all the rest of it and you, you definitely get that and i think it's interesting that you use the word immersive with the uh, patrons project because that's that's on my notes that's one of the things i wrote down with those labels i remember the first time i came across it and i saw i you know i didn't even know the peel back at first until i was just sort of was looking at it i was like oh peel here and then i peeled it i was like oh my and i remember saying to my wife oh my word like this peel look at this this is amazing and it's like because i often think as, as a graphic designer myself i often think that um beer artwork has become the new album artwork and I think with um, those labels in particular, it's a little bit like going to buy a record from the record store and then looking extensively at the sleeve whilst devouring the music, or in this case, the beer. And I think it's, I think it's an amazing thing. And it's, it's, you know, I've never come across it before. Thanks so much, mate. I really appreciate that. I think, well, you took the words literally out of my mouth. That's 100% where that inspiration comes from. So kind of being on the back of the bus as a kid and just get, you just bought a new vinyl or even just a new CD and you're like, you're so desperate to immerse yourself in that product. Yep. And you're like reading through all the sleeve notes. And yeah, it was just kind of like, we really wanted to try and elevate that, that experience as much as possible and and allow for as, an, as immersive an experience as we, as we possibly could. Yep. Just off the back of that, do you think that in a lot of ways, um, beer has become a little bit, or he's becoming a little bit like, iTunes and Spotify culture in that like that what you just described I remember going this is 1997 going all the way from my house on the outskirts of Sheffield to Meadowhall which is a big shopping centre because I pre-ordered um, Oasis's new single from Beer Now which in hindsight was crap but at the time <laughs> you know I was a massive Oasis fan it's like I'd never heard it you know I had to travel like an hour to get there and then an hour back on the bus and I was holding this CD being like I wonder what this sounds like this is going to be amazing you know and then putting it on and, and at the time being blown away um, you know whereas kids don't get that now because you go on Spotify it's like yeah it's crap crap <laughs> the next one and so on whereas in some ways it almost feels a little bit with all the new beers that are coming out that and particularly the re review culture through things like untapped it's getting a little bit that way with beer as well it's like oh, i didn't like that not enough citra oh it's too sour well don't buy a sour beer then you know um i mean do, yeah. do you think beer's in danger of that as well or yeah man i think definitely um i think the bottle shops across the country are really um well, they, they play the same kind of role. And I think there is a lot of parallels to be drawn with the music industry. Um, and they play the same kind of role as um, record shops do. And um, when you go into a bottle shop, you have a much more immersive and an informed experience, which mm. I think is is so crucial, isn't it? To, um, to that more of that throwaway culture, which I think is what you've alluded to there. Yeah. I guess <laughs> we're going deep here, I guess. But I guess as any, any scene grows, though, there will be that sense of, it being more day-to-day -day or kind of not as involved in experience though. I don't know if that, yeah. Um, so I think there'll always be elements of beer culture that will be a bit like that. And as the scene grows, there'll probably be more and more of it. Like, you know, I guess to take a an example would be like, there was a time when people would have really being stoked to try punk IPA, right? And they'd have sat yep. down and they'd have really tried to unpack it. Like I remember a lot of talk back in the day about uh, batch to batch consistency of punk and everyone was talking about like how they might change the recipe and all that kind of stuff. Like I guess the reality is now that punk people just they just drink it. 
which is which is fine because it's it's a huge beer now, isn't it? And it's just like almost like a household name. Um, but I think that what the most important thing to do is to really protect and nurture and and celebrate uh, those bottle shops and and the things that we can do as brewers to to foster that that um, that that bit of the beer scene that that is about the kind of real beer aficionados and the people that are really passionate and uh, and try and keep that focus on that. Um, certainly, you know we. And I go back to like beer experiences, but yeah, we are we are in grocery now, and that's something um, that we've we've had a big push on over the past year. Um, but we put the majority of our energy into creating these experiences, like the patrons projects, like the old flat store projects, which uh, will never be in in grocery, right? And um, uh, you know, we, we're really keen to foster that bit of the industry as well. We're actually working on uh, a project. This is hot off the press and, and might even never happen. So, um, but I, I might as well tell you now, uh, given it's uh, relevant, is uh, called Bottle Shop Day. So, um, we are hopefully late March this year, really just an echoing of uh, Records um, Store Day. It is quite embryonic and still make it up as we go along. But ultimately, um, we've got quite a few of our friends in the industry um, already stoked and and, and and pushing for it too. Um, and it would be very open source so anyone could get involved. But that would really be just a celebration of the bottle shops across the country. So um, breweries could release exclusive bottle shop beers that would only be sold through bricks and mortar bottle shops. Um, we'd have lots of meet the brewer events like street parties, street food, all those things that feel like they're from a different world at the moment. But um, but yeah, really help to foster uh, and nurture those bottle shops and say thanks as well to, to a lot of the guys that don't have much of an online presence. It's been a it's been a really difficult year. Or it's been a difficult year for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Been. Well, I mean that that brings us nicely into our next bit. But before we start talking about COVID and and how that's affected Northern Monk. Um, it's interesting you should say that about bottle shops because um, with Emmanuel's, which is my brand, and Nano Brewery, um, normally at Christmas time, as I sell largely direct to consumer through a web shop, um, just because I'm making really small batches, you know, and I, I can retain margins, and, and bottle shops get some too. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just kind of like... It, it, Christmas with my brand is, is quite a, a key time. Um, but this year I, I decided not to, cause I was like, everyone's had a really hard year, but especially bottle shops. And I was like, I could very easily set up a web shop and do all that as I normally do and get temporary events notice and just sort of sell it online and ship it out via a courier. But I was like, actually, I, I really want to honor the people that supported Emmanuel's when I first started and took a punt yeah. on this beer they'd never heard of. You know, and then re really invested in me, I guess, in that way and giving me feedback and all the rest of it. And I built friendships up with. So I, th I think Bottle Shop Day sounds amazing. I think it sounds like a really good idea. And I think people who've, who run that kind of business re really want championing because they're, they're the ones that need support now. It's kind of so, like the shoes on the other foot. You know, it was normally brewers that kind of needed the support of these bottle shops and stuff. It's, it's totally the way around now. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's no escaping the coronavirus pandemic and the effects that it's had on people's lives and, and businesses and with the hospitality sector and supply chain being hit particularly hard. And it's it's almost been a year since the UK and other countries went into full-scale lockdown. And before we explore some of the longer-lasting implications that it's had on Northern Monk, can you take us back to last March when Prime Minister Boris Johnson stood at his podium telling people to stay at home, but but don't stay at home and go to the pub, but don't go to the pub, but go to the pub. Like, what, what did you feel in that moment? What was it like when you thought, man, the shit's really hitting the fan here? So, 
well, a whole whirlwind of uh, and roller coaster of emotions. Um, uh, let's start. I think. Well, for one, I think you know at that time it was unclear what what the future looked like completely. So um, I remember we. Uh, I, I tend to drive uh, into work. So it's a bit of. Um, it's quite. <laughs> it's quite difficult to get the training but on that day got the training and a, a number of us did because we thought this might be the last opportunity to drink at the refectory um possibly forever we just didn't know like when things would open back up again we didn't know financially what it would all look like um but yeah i remember kind of uh getting the the training that day and having those last few pints um and i think whilst there was like a, a very somber note to it all, there was also um, a real um, kind of, there was a, a bit of a blitz mentality as uh, I think Boris was keen to try and uh, evoke in the country. <laughs> yeah. He was momentarily deemed, well, he seemed like he, he might do something useful, but unfortunately that, that, no. that lasted <laughs> 24 hours, didn't it? But um, He had one tiny moment where he seemed prime ministerial. Yeah, <laughs> one tiny that. moment. <laughs> Like, are you gonna, yeah, is he really going to do something useful? Oh, no, no, no. no, no. Um, but yeah, around that time, I think there was certainly like a, a bit of a blitz mentality um, across the nation and, and certainly for us as a brewery and a brewery that, you know, in reality, I said that we'll, we'll be going into our eighth year from when we started in a cellar next year. Um, but we still are very kind of, in terms of our mentality, we're still very much startup Um we've got a real startup mentality and we're quite scrappy and um and for us we just kind of really knuckled down and, and we tried to to hit the ground running as much as we could we didn't take a breath in terms of production we kept on top of production uh we looked straight away at what we could do in terms of uh our e-commerce and d2c side of things and obviously we knew we had uh grocery coming up as well so um so those things really buoyed us up but we also saw it as an opportunity to um to give back you know we um we've now given away 10,000 uh cans of faith over the of the two lockdowns uh and we may do another one uh, it hasn't been discussed yet but i don't see why not to frontline uh and nhs workers mm. um that was really impactful and and just really nice really nice to do uh we also gave away we've given away 20 just over 25,000 pounds uh in grants this year which is uh, and we, we gave away more than we made, um, certainly in the height of the pandemic. Um, so we, we really saw it as an opportunity to to give back as much as possible. Um, we always felt like we had kind of uh, a debt to our community for, for nurturing the business and allowing us to get to where, where we could. And we saw it as an opportunity to give back as much as possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, the staff were just incredible. I think there was a real um, tenacity and dynamism within the team um, throughout the, the, the whole of the year, but particularly in that first lockdown to just try and try and get through it as best we could. Yeah. So for a brewery as large as Northern Monk and as an independent business um, in partnership with active partners, like how have you adapted your plans and, and, and changed them in light of the pandemic? And have you had to rewrite your business plan and all the rest of it and, and what sort of role has your investors sort of taken in that and how's that whole kind of dynamic work throughout lockdown uh good question man so the big one was we were very close to signing on a, a site in london um it was a club called rolling stock um and we put the down payment on the brew kit that was an order um 
and we were about to make a really major play for like a, a bit of an outpost in the capital, um, which would have been essentially like a, a small scale uh, brew pub brewery, but we'd have canned and things like that and sold small pack. So we put that on ice um, and ultimately that went on ice indefinitely. I remember we went through about, we must have gone through like 10 forecasts though, because, you know, thinking back and if looking back on that time, it was like, um, you know, initially people were like, oh, God, it's going to go until like July, August. And then people were like, oh, God, it's going to go until October. It just kept on going. And we had all these forecasts, which were like from, uh, you know, um, mildly impactful to like catastrophic. Like we're just, we're totally toast. And so, um, yeah, we had lots and lots of different projections for how things would go. Ultimately, we did okay. Um, um, and yeah, the, the year went all right in the end, uh, all things considered, and, and it definitely wasn't the catastrophic projections. In terms of active and their role in the business, uh, you know, we've historically um, had lots and lots of interest in the business. We've, um, I think we've always been as transparent as I know any other brewery. We've talked about every, every, every bit of money that's ever come into the business and where that's come from. Uh, and we've taken real pride in everyone that, that has come into the business, whether it's a friend of a friend's dad, uh, David or, or active. Um, but when they approached those, like it was very clear. Uh, and the reason we, that we went forward with it was that they had a very values focused approach. Um, uh, other companies in their portfolio, including Finisterre had been real champions for B Corp accreditation in the country. Mm. Um, and, and that really, that came to the fore. Certainly during the pandemic, there was, um, I think they were just very supportive to be quite honest with you. They were supportive of our, uh, charity initiatives, um, supportive of, uh, our move to, we actually went, uh, to real living wage in the middle of the pandemic, um, just cause it's something we wanted to do, uh, across the business. And despite the obviously massive hole in profitability for the year and, uh, yeah, they were good. Um, so I think what else, I, I guess like it was quite useful having those guys as a bit of an insight into certainly they're very involved in hospitality and they've got, um, good insight into the wider kind of economic environment. Mm. Um, so they were, they were very helpful in that respect and kind of gave us insight into, to market activity and yeah. things, which was good. I always think it's interesting when you see online, you know, a, a brewery selling a, you know, staking the business to someone, whether it's a, you know, a global or a, um, an equity firm, or whatever out, you know, there's always quite often a lot of outrage and stuff. Um, yeah. and because a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, all, all you're getting is money. You're selling, you know, I'm selling for dirty money, you know, yeah. when actually, um, you know, one of the reasons you take an investor on isn't just that they're going to boost cash into the business, but they're, they're, they're going to be able to help shape the business and bring all their expertise from running successful companies into your company and yeah. help you and help you grow and, and achieve your targets. I might get shot down for saying that, on my <laughs> but it's, it's my podcast. So, um, well, my podcast listening figures are really low this week. <laughs> no, I think that's right, man. I think like, I think... Ultimately, the bottom line for me is that I feel like it is, um, there is, uh, I feel like there's a requirement uh, for business to be a force for good. Certainly that's that's how I see hmm. um, the running of Northern Monk. Um, and, and ultimately, 
um, you know, within reason, I think like it's not really about necessarily where that funding comes from. I think, um, you know, there's certain uh, entities and, and, and parties and people that have particularly bad track records and things like that. But ultimately, um, the objective is is about being a force for good in in the community and in, in the um, industry that, that that we operate in. That's certainly the way we see things. Yeah, amazing. So, I mean, how do you see the industry recovering from the pandemic and how do you think it will sort of pan out and change the brewing and hospitality sector in the long run? Gazing into your crystal uh, ball, obviously. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we're all, we're all doing that a lot at the moment, aren't we? So I think um, it's difficult, man. I think uh, there's a lot of talk, particularly within the um, kind of the hospitality and on-trade sector, of like a, a bit of a summer of love post prohibition era uh, boom after the the pandemic, and I can certainly see the potential for that, and obviously hope hope for that both for our refectory bars, but obviously our friends within within hospitality, and, and obviously our our, um, our presence in hospitality and our sales into that side of things. Um, yeah, I certainly see the the potential for that to happen. I think there's certain elements um, that probably are here to stay. Um, I think. You know, the pandemic has really fast-tracked e-commerce um, uh, because people are just very aware now of just how easy it is to to buy beer online and, and for that to be delivered to them um, you know within a within a day or two um, I don't know man what do you think what's your crystal ball saying oh gosh that's a question I mean um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about um, brew London because I went last year to, and I loved it, you know, it was, I think it was the last, with the, with, with the exception of Beer X, which, you know, we were out on the cusp of lockdown then anyway, but I think with, with Brew London, it was all a little bit like, oh, there's rustlings of this coronavirus, you know, I won't yeah. affect us, it's fine, you know, party on Wayne, party on yeah. Garth. Um, so that was the last sort of big outing and, you know, I have really fond memories of it and I got floated the idea of going the other day and all of a sudden I, I felt like a panic I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I could face going to London on the train and then on the tube with all those people and stuff. Yeah, totally. So, on the one hand, I, th- I, I personally think I can see the whole summer of love post prohibition type vibe, but I wonder whether that will be more localized. Like I'm, I, you know, as soon as like the Raven Inn opens around the corner, I'm there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to that pub, um, and and sinking some cast beer, some serious cast beer. Um, oh, yeah. but whether you know, I'd want to travel to london or um you know even i guess as far as manchester or somewhere you know it's it's i don't know it's i think there'll be a lot of people that feel like that i agree about the e-commerce stuff i think um that has definitely fast-tracked that and i remember my business mentor saying to me years ago um you know because i started emmanuel's from here from here at my house back in 2014 as well um and, you know, even back then he was like, you need to be selling direct to consumers because that's where you retain your margins and stuff. So, you know, I've, sp- I've spoke to brewers throughout lockdown who have said, oh, you know, we're not selling as much quantity of, of beer, but we're making as much money because we're selling direct to customers now. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree about that continuing. And um, what you said about bottle shops, I can see more exclusive beers maybe going into bottle shops and as people support those businesses. But... I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking out my window at the moment. It's 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 all quite grey with the snow, and I can't, I can't really see very far. And I I guess it's um, see about like as far as your local pub. I, I can't. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. That 
hits the nail on the head. I can see as far as my local pub, and um, I, I, it might take a while. I don't know. It, it, it'll depend really on on I think how people react to coming out of lockdown. Like, because the lockdown we had in November was a little bit like. You know, kids were still at school. It wasn't really a lockdown, was it? You know, no. it was a a, a, a a token gesture and not a very good one at that. But this feels a lot more like the winter of discontent. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of hope more breweries will come out of it. I certainly hope bars and pubs will come out of it. It's, it's weird to go for a run last night past one of my locals and, and see it, you know, all shut up and the marquee outside taken down, which they'd had out for a while and... And thinking that you know this this really looks like no one has been in for a while, um, yeah. yeah so I, I I don't know. It's um, I'm pretty sure Yoda had a moment in one of the early Star Wars. <laughs> you know the the one with the Mister Jar Jar Binks. Oh, <laughs> such an annoying character. Why did they do that? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So um, yeah. I, I mean, go, I, so, I hope though the, the the what you say in the sentiment around like local pubs. I hope that that is here to stay and I certainly recognise that definitely it's that odd mix though isn't it of like I totally see it and one of the reasons that we didn't do London was quite honestly because you know we are founder led business um, and me and Brian suddenly didn't quite fancy the prospect of being in London every week mm. um, and wanted to do if we do something like that we wanted it to be closer to home and I think that sentiment is the same as, as what you were saying about I just kind of just want to go to my local pub now and drink cask beer yeah um, and hopefully but at the same time that's uh like i've got real uh, thirst for adventure as well so i either want to be in my local or in the middle of i don't know i used to travel with work a lot in africa i'd rather be like being deepest west africa somewhere doing something yeah uh, interesting well that reminds me of a question i didn't get around to asking actually so um Later that year, we went to Smokefest at Tourside with my my friend and former colleague at Sheffield Brewery, Paddy. And um, we, we were talking at that about um, Northern Monk brewing on a, a mountain. Was that right? Yeah, man. Um, and I, I meant to ask you earlier, so um, fill us in about that, because that's um, I'm, I'm sure Paddy who does this to this podcast will want to know, because we had a good debate about that on that show. So um, how, how did that work? <laughs> so that worked very... It was very hard work is what it was. So we... Well, we wanted to raise more money for the foundation, for the North Foundation we set up to support uh, community projects and charities across the North. And we were looking at what our next piece of fundraising could be. And we wanted to say like, right, if we give ourselves £5,000 as a budget to do something, how can we create the most amount of funds from that? So we wanted to do, to create something really unique that people could um, buy and participate in that would then all the money would go back into the the, the foundation so um so yeah we had this idea that we'd brew a beer on the top of ben nevis and and it was like it was one of the hardest things i've ever done but one of the most fun things um we've ever done as well it was awesome actually but we spent like a couple of well, we spent the best part of a week up in uh up in scotland and um yeah got to the top of ben nevis we um remember we'd like the, the the water was literally taken they call it the Jew of Ben Nevis it's the, mm. the, the the highest water source well, I guess that would then be in the country and we foraged for blaberries to put in the beer um and yeah we stood very at <laughs> the top of Ben Nevis for the best part of five or six hours um before making our way back down so yeah it was a real adventure man it was super cool 
Brilliant. Well, th- thanks for being on the show. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can extend my local up to uh, the refectory when we come out of lockdown. I mean, if if and when Dark City makes a return, I shall definitely be making uh, making the pilgrimage there. Just on that note, very quickly, we've got an actually. I just moved a meeting that was going to be now, and that's why it's on my mind. But um, yeah, Hop City is going to be end of July, I think. I can't remember the exact date, but uh, we're, we're pushing ahead with that um, and really hoping for the best. Uh, it's going to be all outside our, our new um, brewery site, the main production site at Sydenham Road. So um, yeah, we're hoping we can make that happen. And then, yeah, fingers crossed for Dark City, man. That's November. Mm. We've, got to be, we've got to be in a place where we can do that. I really hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Um, well, yeah, like I said, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I'm pretty sure most people already know where to find you and how to find your beers. But if if they don't, for whatever reason, how can people find the brewery online and possibly connect with you? So they can find us at www.northernmonk.com uh, and across um, the local bottle shops across the country, as well as uh, Morrison's and Tesco. And Waitrose for the Canada Classic range, and yeah, we like, um, and we're on Instagram as Northern Monk and uh, Twitter as NMBco. But yeah, we love to hear from people, so um, always free to get and feel free to get in touch. And I'm just Russell at northernmonk.com if you ever want to hit me up, man. But yeah, thanks so much for having me. And again, like I was saying before, like uh, kudos for uh, keeping this rolling and making it work, man. It's um, it's been going quite a few years now, hasn't it? So yeah, yeah, uh, 2018 it started. So yeah, thanks, man. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>